Because that little rebellious nature in me where I was like, I want to do it. I'm going to freaking do it. That was the same reason why I went to beauty school in the first place. You get to choose how you help people in the industry. So whether that is having your own business and creating this unique experience for them. I'm not deaf, but it means that I have a hearing impairment. I think six out of 10 of us have hearing impairment. So it's like this genetic thing. Experiencing that myself over childhood, I feel like it was a gift and a curse. Like. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Adaptive Leaders Podcast. Yes, that is right. Adaptive Leaders. So we have changed the name, the branding, a little bit of the podcast. It was overdue. It was always going to happen. It's a welcome change. And first female that we're going to add to this podcast is somebody that is near and dear to my heart. The most special guest we've had. Hands down, no one comes close to the podcast. She is a mother, she is a multi-business entrepreneur, she has had a client service business for coming on a decade, and she is an instructor, she has partnerships with a national medical aesthetics studio as well, and trains nationally in beauty. We have none other than Shelly May. Welcome to the podcast, Shelly May, my fiance, how are you? Thank you. I'm great. Thanks for having me. Shelly May, give us some early context. What made you you (laughs) in the early days? That's a good question because that's very general. I always say that I've lived like multiple lives because each phase is like working on a deeper version of myself, working on and getting to know myself and who I really am without all these things that have been in the way or that I took on from my journey that weren't really me, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And my entrepreneurial journey has been very synonymous to my um, personal development and like even my spiritual path. I was very into like finding my spiritual path in alignment with business and entrepreneurship. Um, And I realized after becoming a mom that I became like hyper focused on that. So now I've kind of like zoomed out and seen that working on myself has helped me in every way in business mm-hmm. with as a mother, as partner, as a friend. But let me take you back to I finished high school and I tried to go to college mm-hmm. <laughs> for one semester like doing things the traditional way, you know, because mm-hmm. my parents were like, you got to get it, got to get a degree and then you got to get a job and then just go this traditional route. And I was like, yeah, this just isn't going to work <laughs> for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. So I took the beauty industry route and I remember coming home and telling my mom, I was like, I'm going to, I really want to be an esthetician. And she's like, you need to get a real job. You need to get a real degree. It's just what she knew, right? I think she was literally trying to like give me perspective of what she knew, getting a degree and like working in the system like that. And I'm so glad that I didn't listen to her. I always was kind of rebellious at heart because the beauty industry has helped me so much in um, learning how to build relationships and learning how to hold space for people. And the beauty industry has like a huge negative connotation for like being drama and gossipy which it totally is when you get women together they are emotional and we're sharing things and whatnot but I realized that it's actually such a special industry if you can utilize it to be a positive impact Mm -hmm. because everybody is going through something and Mm -hmm. if 
you can hold space for them and you can leave them better than when they came into your space mm -hmm. more than just a beauty service right because that's like the superficial part that brings them in but then to really hold space for them and ask them about their life like you sometimes become like their best friend that they've never had you mm -hmm. know and so that's what I love about the beauty industry and that's what has really propelled me to keep moving forward to you know be somebody that can hold space and make an impact mm -hmm. more than just making money the money yeah. comes you know when you can be that for others so, so i want to focus in on what you said your rebellious nature where does that come from i feel like it was innate in me just because the environment that i grew up in you know led me to believe that you had to earn love and so that was like if you just be a straight arrow and you just listen to the authority and you just do it this way and you follow these rules and then you'll be happy maybe one day in the future or after you die right mm -hmm. and it was a lot of things that i just it wasn't until later in life that i realized that my natural state of curiosity and wanting to find out who I was and what I was capable and living more in my potential, I realized that I wasn't necessarily rebellious. I just was more curious. Mm. But it's because at some points in my life, I felt like I was living in a straitjacket. I didn't feel like I could express myself. I didn't feel like I could be who I was wanted to be or even figure out what that is or like follow things that felt good to me or felt right for me or that I wanted to learn more about because it was against the grain or just like the mere example that I told you of wanting to kind of go off in a different path and not go to college and get a degree. That's like a very micro example of me wanting to dance to the beat of my own drum. Mm -hmm. And I've always been that way. I remember being young and wanting to cut my hair into bangs and, and like do these different things. And I always remember kids around me when I was younger would be talking about the most, you know, up-to-date trendy things. And I'd be off in my own world, not even thinking about any of the thoughts that they were talking about. And so you, you mentioned that it was innate, right? So which, which one of your parents is the more rebellious one? Probably my mom. <laughs> She's like more outspoken and uses her energy of aggression more like forward. Mm. My dad is more chilled, laid back. So you got it from your mom? Yeah, I got it from my mama. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to your mama, Nancy. Yeah. You're more like her than you probably <laughs> think, right? Interesting how we're more like yeah. our parents. Than Especially since imagine. becoming a mom. I'm like, oh, that's something my mom would have done. Like good things like that. Yeah, let's get. We're gonna get into motherhood at some point during the podcast. So you went, you you decided against the traditional path. So let's talk about those early years. I think the rebellious part of me wanted to prove those who thought I couldn't do it wrong, and I've come to grow out of that. Um, but at the beginning, it was like, no, I want to do this, and so I enrolled into school, mm -hmm. and I was also working full time. I had got promoted to being a manager at this like debt collection agency. Um, to put me through school. So I was working four tens and then I would um, wake up in the morning. I'd go to beauty school from like 6 to 12 p.m. And then I'd drive straight to work and work from 1230 to 10 p.m. Mm -hmm. And I did that every day for like a long period of time. And there were so many times where 
I would like break down and call my sister. I'm like, I'm just so drained. I'm so tired. I have no time to do anything. I was exhausted. But then she reminded me like, this is just a phase. Mm. And I've actually been able to utilize that tool of reminding myself when things get hard sometimes like this is just a phase you know mm-hmm. this isn't going to be forever especially as I've grown and pivoted and like as we've taken the trainings online and created online courses you have to like push yourself right so go back to that part so I had a girl in my class that was working as a lash artist so we had you have to be licensed in some states to practice eyelash extensions so I was already going through esthetician school to get my license because I knew that I wanted to you know potentially work for a doctor dermatologist or something that was like the beginning I didn't know that I'd start my own business or anything and so she was like totally like reeling in the dough like she or she would always, and keep in mind, we're like 19 years old. She drove like this really nice Lexus that was like decked out. She paid for that. She always had like the cutest outfits and like paid to get her hair extensions. Like I was like, dang, you're really making a lot of money. Like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm doing lash extensions. And mm-hmm. so I was like, oh, shit. Okay, let's do this. Mm-hmm. So we had a class and it was a this is like 11 years ago. So the education has changed a lot in the industry, but I took a course. I sucked at it. Seriously. I think I got five <laughs> eyelashes on. Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. I think I got five eyelashes on mm-hmm. a person like the first time we did it in four hours. Yeah. And, and, but I was, I, I think was... that's important too, to highlight <laughs> because you have students or people that have gone through your course i mean thousands of them mm-hmm. i'm sure you've had students or people going through the course that are like i suck at this there's no way this is for me yeah so you you had a similar experience You're like this yeah this is not fun i'm not good at this <laughs> so how did you stick with why did you stick with it i stuck with it because that little rebellious nature in me where i was like i want to do it i'm gonna freaking do it Mm. And that was the same reason why I went to beauty school in the first place is because I didn't want to do the same old shit that everybody was doing around me. I wanted to be different. I wanted to live a different life. And so that's why I kept going, even though I sucked, because I was almost like determined to prove to myself that I could do it. Mm-hmm. And it sounds so silly, like eyelashes, but they're hard. Like you grab the tweezers, you try to get one eyelash and like it's it's definitely tedious work, mm-hmm. but it definitely over time, you know, becomes therapeutic and can be fun and artistic and it's a creative outlet and it's a, a way for me to connect with women and I love it. So yeah, I stuck with it. I did that mm-hmm. eventually. So you had your rookie years in that industry. Oh, totally. Like everything was hard. Yes. You were learning new skill sets. The learning curve for those skill sets took months, maybe even years, but you stuck with it. You stayed you stayed consistent in that. Yeah. And then what was the next evolution of that, right? It was you would have your family members as clients, you would have you were bringing in people from uh, into your home like you had an at-home studio right like, oh not even a studio I was like <laughs> you lay your ass on the bed that I sleep in <laughs> this is how hungry I was I was yeah. like you come over you lay on my bed that I sleep on <laughs> I don't suggest is that, that. OSHA? is that OSHA what violation is that oh yeah something like that no what is the yeah OSHA I, I think is that it's a, a OSHA violation, a health violation. <laughs> yeah health I mean I wasn't a dirty person right <laughs> but like but like don't I, incriminate I, yourself I, I did for the people not some random strangers of course like family and friends i'd be like hey come lay on my bed i'll do your lashes Mm -hmm. and 
that, I mean, that just comes to show that I was willing to do things that were uncomfortable because I wanted it, you know, and that's the difference. I think that there's a lot of people because you have social media and it wasn't as prevalent when I first started as it is now. Uh You have people that are, they're waiting, like some of the students that have gone through my courses and we followed and stayed connected to their journey. They're like, well, I'm just waiting until I can, you know, get the perfect space and have it be what I want because I want it to. And I'm like, you sometimes have to like start at the bottom, you know, and do yeah. the dirty work to get there yeah. and not in a bad way. Like you got to get in there and be willing to b- and build your grit and like and do the hard things to get there. And it will evolve that way. But a lot of people don't want to, number one, suck at something new. They don't want people to judge them. They're so afraid of judgment that they're not willing mm-hmm. to like even set up a room in their house or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, here's the interesting truth I found around what you're saying which is you've got to be okay with sucking at something new Mm -hmm. and that's that's what most people don't want to do and that stems even from childhood we see kids like i've got an 11 year old turning 12 in a what two weeks and she at a young age was like i don't want to do it because i'm not good at it Mm -hmm. you know and so that it can be something that starts in in early childhood and a pattern that you and a behavior that you consistently are are practicing but eventually you've got to come to the realizations like most things you do that you've never done before in this case lash artistry in this case starting a business in this right a lot of these different things that you have never done before so you're gonna suck and the people that are in the arena are gonna recognize hey keep going you're in the arena welcome yeah. welcome failure is everywhere 100%. right but the people outside of the arena are like maybe that's not for you Mm-hmm. Like I've only been doing this for three or four weeks or six months. Like where where do you have the audacity to tell me that I cannot do this mm-hmm. or I shouldn't do this? Mm-hmm. Well, I just saw a quote the other day. Someone said the difference between someone being successful and not is their mindset. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, you got to put action towards it, but you're not going to take action if you don't actually believe that you are going to get there. Mm-hmm. But also too you have to instill that into yourself because no one else is going to do it. Like everyone around me, no one in my entire family, I'm ninth out of 10 kids and I'm one of the youngest. No one in my family did what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't have a lot of people around me that were like giving me that signal. So I had to go find that online or other entrepreneurial endeavors that I kind of branched out into and like get around people that told me or like helped me open my mind to what Mm -hmm. was possible. At what point did you start having that feeling of like, I can't sustain this client service business? Because at the same time that you're receiving the, you're getting the most clients, the most consistent with your business, you also were like, I'm burning out. I'm burning the candle on uh, both ends. And so what stage, how many years into it where you're like, because most beauticians, cosmetologists, or anyone that's starting a beauty service business is like, I need more clients. I need more money. Eventually, you're back-to-back booked five, six, seven days a week, and you're doing that for a handful of months or years. But then you're like, I need to get out of this. A lot of the marketing I now see is like, how can you get out from behind the chair when yes. when you're starting out on the journey? You're like, how can I be behind the chair for the longest? Mm-hmm. Or like, how how can that means I'm making money, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you don't have a client in the chair, you're not making money. Um, I think it was about like six years in, probably five, six years where I was working. Like, you remember that's when we like first met. Mm-hmm. 
and I was breaking down and I thought the only way was to like hire people. And so I had like, you know, people working for me and I hired like other um, artists to take on the load. But it I realized too that a lot of there's a lot of things I needed to grow on with that. That's like a whole different ball game, like being a leader in that way. And mm-hmm. I wasn't ready for that as far as I didn't. I wasn't doing the work to be the best leader I could to to keep those people on at that time. So I like burned out. I was like working eight, 12 hours back to back. And there's this running joke in a lot of service industry um, businesses, but especially in the beauty industry, there's this running joke that all service providers, all they drink is like coffee and soda and water. Like that's what we consume in a day. Um, and it's because a lot of times we... You're back to back. You're back to back. You don't mm-hmm. make time. And so I definitely burnt out. And that's when we we met. And I was so excited because I was like, next evolution, I'm going to do last trainings. And you were like, why don't we take them online? And I was like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, that'd be cool. But I like it didn't land for me at that time. And that's before anybody was even really doing online courses. I definitely felt like it was probably about like five, six years in back to back to back. You're cycle. in this perpetual cycle of work until I can't work anymore have a breakdown, take a break, go on vacation, come back and do it again. Mental, physical, emotional, spiritual breakdown and then start again and then do it again and then yeah. do it again. And then uh, then you're like, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to train people because I've had a successful client, you know, book of business for this amount of years. Beauty, other beauty people are asking me, how do I do that? What are you doing? What service are you providing? Now you just added more to your plate because now you're working Monday through Friday and then you're working Saturday and Sunday outside of our relationship, our personal life. But in a business context, when you came to me for consulting and you were breaking down like, this is what I make hourly and this is what I make over hourly, but over two days for certification and trainings. Mm -hmm. And I instantly, from the outside perspective, not knowing one lick of information your industry was like, why don't you just do that but package it on an online course? Mm-hmm. Something where you do it once and then you take clients through it and it, it's it's more passive. Nothing's passive, right? But this is a more passive sense of income. Yeah. And the next stage was to have a more hands-off service or uh, offering. It was pretty simple to, to coach you through that and say, do just do that. Then I didn't do it because <laughs> if anyone has tried to learn technology and create an online course mm-hmm. and you're from the beauty industry, you feel yeah. stuck and you don't even know <laughs> and overwhelmed and where to start and how do I video and how do I edit and how do I even get a camera and then how do I even get the shot and the lighting and then, oh, oh my, my gosh, God. so many things. So I didn't do, sh- I didn't do shit mm-hmm. at the beginning and then, um, you kept like kind of suggesting it to me and I was like yeah yeah okay like that'd be cool but like Mm. yeah and um so then finally we came together and this was our first business endeavor looking back I feel kind of bad because I was just a drag I mean you were like building this boat and you were helping and you you taught me so much as the kind of the kingpin you know leading that that goal that project yeah yeah because I thought I was a hard worker and I was a hard worker in ways that I knew how to work hard, but like sitting down and learning technology and being patient and, and seeing it all the way through and not just 
every five minutes being like, okay, I need to take a break. <laughs> I remember sitting there and just dreaming about the ocean and, and you were just like in it. You were just like editing and doing this. And, and I'm just sitting there in your office like, can we go to the beach now? Like, <laughs> and you, you <laughs> had to have like this hard, do you remember that talk in the car? Mm. We, we pulled up to the office and you were, looked at me and you're like, do you want to do this? Do you really want to do this? Mm. And it was a reality check for me because I think it's so easy to want to do things that you're good at. And and when it gets hard, it's easy to want to quit. And you really opened my eyes to how much of a baby I was being. <laughs> mm. And you didn't say that baby. to me. It was you just didn't... like your, your, what your wants and needs or like what you wanted and what you were doing didn't map, right? Like they didn't your behavior it. didn't map to what you wanted. Yeah. And so... It's like if you're seeing somebody going through these cycles and you're like, hey, this is an opportunity for you to, to enhance your life out of those cycles. But then at the same time, you see that person isn't committed to that next step or to doing the work. Yeah. Well, that's the easiest way, doing the work. It's like you're you're living in a pipe dream. You know, it's like, yeah. do you really want this or does it just sound nice? Because to get this, you have to do a lot of fuck. Like you have to. It's going to feel like this. Boom. Yeah. Especially Boom. learning a completely new skill set. It's 100%. like I could do lashes all day. I could teach. I could show you how to do it. But then like being on the back end and like yeah. filming and editing and like putting it in chronological order and creating all of the materials that they would need yep. to download. And then how am I going to get kits? How am I going to mm -hmm. give get them what they need? It's yeah. a lot of effort. Instructional design, videography. And then when you build this and package it, now you have to learn marketing and then you have to host that that product somewhere so now you're learning about online platform that's a funny thing because so many people are like i'm gonna create an online course and be a millionaire <laughs> and then you launch the course and it's like crickets yeah. crickets crickets oh yeah. now you gotta go hunt for these people yeah. and there's so much loudness out there and there's a lot of courses that suck there's mm -hmm. a lot of people that have come to me that have been like i took this course and that course and it, it didn't teach me this or that mm -hmm. and i'm confused and and we've redone the courses multiple mm -hmm. times and mm -hmm. added other courses to help people evolve in their evolution of lashing. Mm -hmm. and, and this is what's cool is that when you do the work, the universe, God, whoever you want to say, will always reward you at the end of it. Because not only did you launch the online course, that set you apart from every other instructor in the industry. You had a first mover advantage mm -hmm. to where when there's opportunities to partner with larger aesthetic companies, they were reaching out to you. For that's that's a huge thing too mm -hmm. because a lot of people don't give that ongoing support yeah and to have that as a resource without having to like use my time mm -hmm. you know it was it's it's been and to this day is super helpful mm -hmm. um you see a lot more people that are creating online courses but we definitely were one of the first ones i remember we were literally searching to see where yeah, was the competition yep. yeah and and this is back in 2017 like 2018 so mm -hmm. um yeah, it's been a cool evolution. It's been fun. It's been so a in challenge. <laughs> in hindsight, looking back, was that like a couple months that it took to produce that first course? Was it worth it? Was the ROI there? Oh, for sure. <laughs> right. For sure. Multiple but it was factor. so hard. I'll mm -hmm. tell you that. It really, really was. I'm not going to discredit the amount of effort it took um, to to move through that hard thing and, and get it done and get it complete. But I'm so glad. And we've just built on on top of that. And mm -hmm. it, it gave me a skill set to also for a period of time when I was going more into like life coaching and that type of thing, because I really fell in love with helping people, holding space for them, helping um, give them feedback and be a soundboard for them when they'd come to my appointments. I really realized how much I loved that and how much it made me feel fulfilled. So then 
I went into coaching and then I was able to create online courses for coaching as well. And so that skill set never was a waste. That's mm -hmm. the cool thing too. When you push yourself and you move through these and you build the skill set and you become resourceful, then it almost adds to you and mm -hmm. what you can do in the future. Yeah. Yeah, that that whole process for me has been summed up into the adapt, adopt, adapt. Adapt to your personal professional environments by adopting the necessary skills to compete and then becoming adept in those skills to become the best in that environment, mm -hmm. whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I love and I will uh, emphasize the word compete because in capital markets, uh, FYI, attention alert, you know, in a capital <laughs> market, you're competing, whether even if you're in a job, even if you're and you have an employee, you're still competing against your peers, right? Like you're still, there's so still an opportunity that you can get the, fired. Yeah. There's still an opportunity, you know, like somebody comes in is more productive. You, your jobs can get outsourced. If you can learn that, it's so such a simple thing, but if you can really learn that process, you are an invaluable source for any business, any company, any endeavor, period, mm -hmm. right? So it's, it's really cool to see that you learned that. So now you're at a place where you're, the online course is live. You're learning marketing. It's successful. You have your first $10,000 in sales with the online course, right? Mm -hmm. After learning a specific marketing strategy. Yeah. Then you're talking in negotiations for this instructor program, right? And that's a that's a that's the next chapter of this, right? Mm -hmm. Or you think the chapter ends. You think, okay, that's it. You there's nothing more besides running a successful client service business digitizing your services certification programs marketing to people around the world bringing in hundreds and thousands of students to the online portal portals there's nothing more than that well no there's another level to this you they're a national esthetician aesthetics training company mm -hmm. and so we partnered with them here and in vegas and um and we're still in partnership with them to this day so yeah that's awesome i love doing that it's so fun mm-hmm and um, because, you know, we had those courses and stuff, it really helped me stand out from other instructors mm -hmm. um, that they were looking into partnering with for their school. So my business, Self Image Beauty, is in partnership yep. with them. Yep. So you have a partnership. You're not an employee of them. You're in a partnership with them, which means you are always competing also because they don't have to partner with you. They don't have, they didn't have to be with you for the last five years, right? Yeah. Like, so you are literally competing against all the other instructors that are out there that are wanting to mm -hmm. do what you do mm -hmm. and you are consistently able to yeah. show up your courses and the way that you train and you teach are consistently at the top. You're always given, you know, positive feedback. And if you ever receive any sort of feedback that is less than positive, you adjust, you change, you adapt, and then you yeah. make it better. Yeah, it wasn't. Yeah, exactly. I just want to talk about that for a second. It wasn't always positive feedback. And I've had a lot of feedback in the courses over the years that all gave me a signal of how to make it better. I think a lot of the times when we get negative feedback, we want to be like, oh, they're they just don't get it or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like I'm awesome. And it's really like, okay, how is this feedback giving me a signal of where I can be better mm -hmm. instead of internalizing it. Cause especially in the beauty industry, you have a lot of like perfectionism and like insecurities and, or like, um, imposter syndrome. And so instead of letting that get me down, um, I would always say, how can, how can I make it better? How can I be better? Because mm -hmm. that's, what's going to keep me in business, not being, you know, 
um, discrediting someone's experience because that was their experience, you know? Yeah, that's so true. So it's like you're you're just trying to be the best version of yourself without having to tear yeah. other people down yeah. at the same time. And like there's there also there also is a lot of people that just want to complain and oh, they don't want to do work and mm -hmm. they don't want to put in the work because learning lashes is hard. And so if you don't want to do the work, then that's fine. But that's on you. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I've ever met a high performer that somebody that is super productive is also a high has a high level of complaining or victim mindset. I don't I don't think those two I don't think those two can coexist. Yeah. I could be wrong. There could be a multimillionaire that's listening to this. Like I complain every day, you know, 17 yeah. hours a day. Yeah. And I still am a multimillionaire, yeah. but I don't think that. Well, exists. think about energy, right? And your thoughts and what you give your energy to and what you think about, right? Like, because if, if all day you're thinking about victimizing thoughts or complaining or, mm -hmm. you know, wanting to play the woe as me game, your energy is going there. It's not going into how can I grow? How can I be better? How can we be resourceful? How can I practice? How can I ask for help if this doesn't make sense or whatever? Um, so yeah, you got to be careful. Mm -hmm. As I'm saying that, I'm reminding myself of that. <laughs> yeah. So as a leader in the beauty industry, which which is a rightful title that you've earned over the last, you know, let's say 10 years, as a leader in the industry, what would be your best pitch for them to stay in beauty and then thrive in beauty? I think a lot of the times that people are unhappy in this industry is because they're not doing it on their terms. Mm. And running a business is hard um, and maybe it isn't for everybody, right? So it's not like I'm here to be like, you need to run your own business because maybe what you love the most is just giving clients an amazing experience. But you are limited to the environment, the business that you work for or the stipulations or their policies and procedures, right? So asking yourself, what do I really want out of this industry? Because this industry, like even the lash industry alone is... Um, this year trajectory is to be like over $3 billion just in one niche in the beauty industry, right? Mm -hmm. And so the potential to make money is just amazing and it's not going anywhere. There is people through COVID, through everything that still want their beauty services and they will, I've had people tell me I would rather pay for my lashes than my phone bill. <laughs> and <Yeah>. like, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's true. And mm -hmm. these relationships and these experiences that you are able to create. So, so to answer your question, what do you want out of the beauty industry? Do you want to make an impact? Um, do you want to help people feel better? I know one of the questions I always ask in my trainings, I ask the students, you know, get clear on why, why you're here, because when you do feel burnt out, when you do feel exhausted, when you do feel like, you know, you're having hard clients or you have conflict with the client and you're having to address that, it's going to be uncomfortable. So what is it that's going to help you see that through? And most of the people, when I ask them, you know, why do you want to be in this industry? A lot of the times it's because they, they say they want to help people. And mm. so I think that that um, is one of the main highlights but you get to choose how you help people in the industry so yeah. whether that is having your own business and creating this unique experience for them which i feel like was my secret sauce and creating self-image beauty and really um, pouring into myself and growing myself as a human um, that's why i named my business self-image beauty because it really does come back to your relationship with yourself and how you view yourself and what you see 
um, yourself capable of doing and being. But I think that um, you have to get so clear on what it is that you really want because there's money everywhere. So if you're afraid to start a business because you don't have enough money, then you can figure that out. If you are drained by running a business because you just haven't, you know, either built the resources or you're just in a hard place and you really don't feel like you can keep going, like you can still make money in this industry, right? So that's that's taken out of there. So what, how, how can you pour into yourself to be the person and give yourself the experience that you want in this industry? Because you can find clients, you can make money. You just have to get clear with yourself on what it is that you want to be and what you want to do in the industry. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. 100%. Yeah, that was, that was really good. I think also just to, to point out what you said when you started uh, answering that question, which was the resilience or the, the recession proof nature of the beauty industry, right? Recession proof, the resilience, the it's, it's crazy. Just to know, like you've had clients that have been with you for five, six, seven years, every two weeks come, you know, before they left. And that's insane to think, to have a client for that long, that consistent. Like they'll do that, like they'll show up, you know, short of their wedding day, you know, to do lashes. And I was like, I'm going to show up even on my wedding day because I want my lashes to be done mm -hmm. for my wedding day. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like almost everything. I'm, I'm nine months pregnant. You know, I'm yeah. just, I need to come in and get some. Oh, I literally <laughs> did eyelashes on one of my amazing clients. Shout out to you, Jess. I did her eyelashes and then that night she went into labor yeah, and, and then she like, said they were perfect for the pictures looking down at my baby. And I just thought, you know, that's awesome. Isn't that so? <laughs> so the, just the, that's where, even if you're not a woman or if you're not in, you know, interested in getting in the beauty industry, there's always nuggets for our listeners. Uh, we have a lot of male audience, a large male audience predominantly. And so share this with your wife, share this with your partner, share this with your sister, share this with your mother, share this with your auntie, anyone that's looking to do something else that maybe they want to get out of the traditional nine to five and they want to go out on their own share this with them so they can see that there's a ton of opportunity in this space mm -hmm. and it's not slowing down it's just mm -hmm. getting bigger and it's know? fun like it really is fun i don't like sometimes they compare people in the beauty industry to like the medical industry mm -hmm. like you have so many more stipulations on you when you're like working under that and you still need to follow like the proper you know, health and safety sanitation measures and everything, which highly suggests making sure that the education that you choose to go through is a reputable brand like that. But really and truly, you can dance to the beat of your own drum. There's people in this industry that are like really into their rebellious nature and their their branding is like a middle finger, literally quite literally, literally. literally. The, like their brand is the middle finger and and then it's tattooed on her fingers lash oh yeah like that type and then there's people that create a completely different brand that matches to them and they can be themselves and they attract that audience and they attract those people mm -hmm. and yeah it's fun it's awesome there's also a therapeutic aspect that you mentioned a little bit earlier as well to the industry right and so for the audience to relate to what we're saying to all our listeners uh for men you know, that kind of relationship that feels therapeutic, that feels like you can open up a little bit more as your barber, right? You have that barber that just knows you, you've been going to for a few years, 
and you, he knows everything about your life, your struggles, your challenges, what, what you're dealing with in your life. That's also in the, the beauty industry, right? So with that, you started building relationships and learning psychology and seeing patterns of your clients and seeing, oh, this person consistently is complaining about her relationships, you know, yeah. and it's always other people's fault. Like what, what can she can take accountability? So then you started studying books in psychology and you picked up a book called Psycho-Cybernetics, right? Yeah. By and Maxwell Maltz. By what, and that was like a game changer for you. Yeah. yeah. I, at this point, I was literally like, what type of coach am I? Mm-hmm. Because I, I resonated with the whole idea about this self-image, which is this concept that we hold of ourselves beside beyond the physical. A lot of us don't realize if you don't have self-awareness or you haven't been as aware of the patterns and the thoughts that are running in your mind, when you look in the mirror, you are saying so much more about yourself and to yourself throughout the day than you even realize. And that that programming is the self-image. It's what you think about yourself. And, and I remember picking up this book and I realized, oh my gosh, I'm a self-image coach. That's what I want to be. And (laughs) it's funny because it really did resonate with all this other work I had been doing to be, to get to that place of where I was after starting my business and going through other relationship challenges and then us coming together and creating the courses and then, um, all, you know, healing a lot of childhood things. And that's that sort of thing. I really resonated with that. So it it really helped me create these frameworks to help, you know, hold space for, advise, give feedback to my clients that were struggling. And so when they came to me, it was like, it was definitely therapeutic. Like mm-hmm. some of my clients would be like, I need to pay you for therapy and eyelashes. Mm-hmm. And I'm not like certified or like licensed therapist and I don't claim to be. But I definitely think that there is so much opportunity in the beauty industry to create a positive impact and not just being people's hype gal and being like, you're awesome. Yeah, screw him, you know, and all the drama that comes up with these woman conversations, but really and truly giving people, you know, that signal, like when the woman would come in and constantly just be complaining about their husband and I'd, I'd kind of switch the script. I'd be like, hey, so what do you love about him? Because you, I'm here. And if you need to talk about it, I understand there's a time to vent, but like, what do you love about this person that you're choosing to be with? And how can you see that and give energy to that if you're going to choose to stay with them or they'd be talking, you know, negatively about themselves? And I'd say, wait, why are you talking to yourself like that? You know, Mm -hmm. and just be that soundboard. So it is possible to be that. If our audience, anyone that knows you personally, they know how charismatic you are, how fully self-expressed you are. I mean, you've been cutting your hair in that mohawk style and and beyond for what, seven years, eight years now, like for a long mm-hmm. time. You have you've gone against the grain. You've gone c- counterculture. You have had that rebellious, curious nature for ver- many years. You didn't have a regular upbringing. Like in in terms of like your nature, right? Like your biology is quite literally different. I don't think there's anything more ruthless than what young women are marketed to by big business magazines, TV, reality TV, social media, mm-hmm. which is that antagonistic reality that you are not good enough is mm-hmm. is more deeply rooted female gender than 100%, it is one hundred percent, one hundred percent. And so you, because of this biological, what some people would say impediment, it was 
uh, silver lining you have been hearing impaired your whole life. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned earlier, it's like, I'll just do my own thing. It's like quite literally you have been in your own world. In this case, like what, what's your life been like with, with a hearing impairment? Um, this is the first time we're talking about it publicly. I wanted to, but it just hasn't like felt like the right time or just how to go about it. You yeah. Know? Break it down. So what, what does that mean? Hearing so for the person? It means that I'm not deaf, but it means that I have a hearing impairment. So my hearing is not 100% of what other people's are. And so growing up a lot of, I was ninth out of 10 kids. And to this day, um, I think six out of 10 of us have hearing impairment. So it's like this genetic thing. Um, and it doesn't, the, the, the DNA marker that usually is correlated with hearing loss is not even, we don't have that. So we're kind of this anomaly that we're currently um, in some studies because our history is really interesting to some of these medical doctors of like what it is that it's causing our hearing loss and that over time it, it like does decrease. So yeah, like experiencing that myself over childhood, I feel like it was a gift and a curse, like you said, like a gift in the way where I probably some of the noise and the bullshit like <laughs> went in one ear and out the ear. Mm-hmm. I didn't even hear it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like in my own world, yeah. you know, um, but then it also was a curse and there's certain things that I genuinely feel like I missed out on or like mm-hmm. certain t- moments of like that would be like a connectivity moment, me feeling completely isolated because I couldn't hear the lyrics to a song or understand what people were saying or feeling left out or um, from the outside watching and hearing people talk about my sisters, like, oh, they're hearing aids and making fun of them and like, Mm -hmm. and me being petrified, like terrified to even wear hearing aids or have myself seen or needing them in denial about that for so long because it was such a negative thing and hearing um my parents get on my sisters about yo you do you have your hearing aids in like and Mm -hmm. getting upset about that obviously because they have to repeat themselves a hundred times um so it was there was pros and cons to it i feel like just like anything else Mm-hmm. I feel like I've normalized to it and obviously having you as my partner, you're like super compassionate and accepting and loving of that part of me, which has helped me almost sometimes I forget that I have it, mm-hmm. but I'm because I'm so used to saying what <laughs> <laughs> even Ocean, our daughter, she's two. <laughs> I'm like, huh? Or what? And she just knows to repeat herself. It's mm-hmm. so funny. But mm-hmm. yeah, so when she, when you're not facing her and this is what's so interesting is. <laughs> When, when we first started dating, like I, I don't, we would go to, like, I took you to a music festival and we did different things. And I don't remember ever being around somebody that got so many compliments, but at the same time you're getting complimented from left, right and center. Like, oh my gosh, I love your hair. Oh my, you're so beautiful. Like all of these things, uh, you were also un you know, like because of your impairment, like, you were, you didn't even notice. Because, and I, so I would be behind you. It's like, oh, she can't hear you. Like uh, we'd go on vacation and people that would like compliment you and then you'd just walk by them <laughs> and then i'll be i'll be like uh sorry she's hearing impaired they're like oh okay because the, the people respond like oh she's a b right for women are ruthless when it comes to that it's like if yeah. i compliment you you better say thank you you know it's a weird energy and so <laughs> you legitimately had my back <laughs> oh wait yeah always always and so that i think that's an important part of your upbringing 
Um, I do want to to ask you when you said there's parts where it like felt lonely. What were those times like? What do you mean by that? An example is I was in like the back seat of a friend's van, and we were like all to go do this thing, and I couldn't hear what they were saying in the front or whatever, and and then I would feel embarrassed because I didn't under understand what they were saying, and so I would mm. check out. So. Part of getting my hearing aids and reacclimating into like hearing better was my brain also doing that because I had created coping mechanisms mm. of like checking out or tuning people out because I couldn't understand what they were saying. And so that's when I say it was lonely. It was literally like you are in your own world isolated because you can't hear those people around you um, or feeling embarrassed of saying what too many times or mm. being like and it's so funny because I'm 30 years old and it wasn't until like the last years that I've been with you where you're like, you just have to tell people you're hearing impaired so mm -hmm. they can say it louder or speak to your face. Mm -hmm. And I think like that is a relief. It feels good to own it and be like, oh yeah, I'm sorry. I'm hearing impaired. So can mm -hmm. you repeat that? Mm -hmm. um, because I think that a lot of what I saw on the outside and what I had internalized that was like negative around being hearing impaired was that you're you're stupid mm -hmm. it, or like you're you're this you're that it's not like people who have hearing impairments aren't often seen as the same as people that need glasses mm -hmm. there's stigma around wearing hearing aids there's stigma around not being able to hear but also it makes sense you know because how you communicate how you respond is directly correlated with your hearing mm -hmm. so yeah, it's been an interesting journey. And yeah, I'm grateful for you for always encouraging me to just own own that. Yeah. Yeah, I just think it's interesting. Like the opposite of what you're saying is somebody being like, oh, I can't be your friend because you're hearing impaired or which is such a silly like elementary thing. Or I, I can't I can't go out of my way to make sure not to talk to your, the back of your head or like to try to like I've got to make sure to be in, in front of you when I'm when I'm asking you a question mm -hmm. like they can't go out of their way for that like is that somebody you want in your circle is that somebody you want to do business with it's mm -hmm. like I'm telling you this is a this is something I I have this is a biological you know this is me I can't change it they they call it a disability sure but I don't is, even call it that I'm right. just like, yeah, I'm it's like it's, it, it, I, I see it as a superpower and that's from the outside you know, from the outside perspective. So I have no room to talk. Mm -hmm. But from my perspective, it feels like a superpower mm -hmm. because I know the influence of media. I know the influence of music. I know the influence of movies. And so like when we're talking about even listening to a 90s pop song that everybody knows the lyrics to, <laughs> you like you'll say, I'm like, what do you think the lyrics are? And then you'll tell me and I'm like, it's not that. It's or this. sometimes <laughs> I, yeah, I'm like singing a song. I'm like, do, 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 and singing the words. And they're like, what did you just say? And I'm like, it said this. And then my whole life, I didn't realize I've been singing the wrong words to the but song. It's not, and that's what I'm saying. It's not bad because if you actually know the, if you look at the research, if you look at the data, these things have such powerful influences on young minds, yeah. on kids, yeah. on adolescents, on teenagers. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember this first time sitting down as a troubled youth, as somebody who was like, uh, you know, gonna be in prison, gonna be dead before they're 18. That was my life's trajectory. I remember sitting down with a therapist 
And they're like, what music do you listen to? That was like the first question. Why do you listen to hard rap? Why do you listen to this stuff? I'm like, I love Tupac. You know, I love Biggie. <laughs> and like every lyric, when you look back, was shaping and influencing me to a degree, right? Mm -hmm. Like, and some more, some less, but mostly everything that you're, every signal you're receiving is in some way. They say it's like your diet. It's the same thing as your diet. Exactly. It's like what you watch, what you listen to is the same thing as the food you put in your body yeah. of how it can impact you. So you had a head start <laughs> in, yeah. in self-expression. In, in that and way. And being able to just <laughs> be your unique self. And that was one of the things that drew me to you is like, you weren't like anybody else. You weren't like Kim Kardashian wannabe. You weren't like, you know what I mean? You weren't like <laughs> I was Jersey, you weren't Jersey Shore girl. You weren't the <laughs> trying to be Ice Spice or whoever's for Kim whatever rap artist was popular like you were just you and you had been you because you weren't influenced like other people were mm -hmm. by culture right yeah. which is one of the most powerful things mm -hmm. on this planet so i think it's powerful right i think that it is a superpower is from my perspective and of course with great power comes great responsibility it i think it's an important thing to share because there's there's somebody listening to this there's somebody that's going to hear this mm -hmm. that has a similar disability, and I'm doing that in air quotes, right, as you, that's like, I cannot live my dreams. I cannot yeah. chase my goals. I can't do that because of my hearing impairment. Right. And you have not let that be an obstacle in your way at all. Mm -hmm. You don't even tell people that you're hearing impaired. No, that's I, how, I forget about it. It's how much of a growth mindset you've had around it. It's like, it's not even there. Like, don't even worry about it, you know? Like, yeah. I'm, it's not even a thought in yeah. the wind. So. That's powerful. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that's really important to show people like how f how much you've done. And we're, you know, early 30s, like, yeah, you have not seen anything yet, right? Like we're just getting started with most of the things that we're doing, which leads into the next, this next chapter of your life. What was the most impactful moment in your life? Uh, giving childbirth, 100%. Yeah, that's not even like, I didn't even have to like allude to that. Just giving like, natural, unmedicated childbirth mm -hmm. in the water. <laughs> And so now this phase is called, this phase of your life is called motherhood. Yes. Right. And so what if you could mm -hmm. try to express to people how impactful that is? Mm -hmm. Well, let me tell you this. You know this, but mm -hmm. I didn't think there were lots of times, periods of time in my life, and when we had first met, especially where I was like, I don't want kids. And I've always loved kids. Like, I'm an auntie. I have 20-something nieces and nephews. Mm -hmm. I love them. My job as their auntie was, like, one of the most fulfilling roles. But I think there's a couple things, the cultural, you know, pressure that, like, if you're a boss, that that's more important than being a mom or that if you're not, you know, moving and shaking and scaling your business then what are you even doing because you're just a mom and I say that in quotes because people say that shit and it just gets me all I mean luckily I had had my experience in entrepreneurship and and working and building a business before I had ocean so I could actually compare it but giving natural birth was the hands down most hardest and most rewarding and most spiritually moving and most amazing experience of my entire life and and then coming into motherhood really biologically changing so much and realizing the importance of that natural biological imperative of 
having a family and it's changed how I view family and it's changed how I feel about moms. Like moms hold this world up. Without mm -hmm. moms, no one would exist. Oh, yeah. And without moms, this economy wouldn't exist. Like the reason why people can go and yep. dads and fathers can go make the money is because the mom is mm -hmm. taking care of. And it's not all like this. I'm talking in generality, but even the moms that do work, like my sister is um, mm -hmm. a single mom and she's providing while being a mom. And it's mm -hmm. so much pressure and there's so much that goes into that, that word. But mm -hmm. to sum it up, it's the hardest, most fulfilling job in the world. I think job lowers it to a level that you know that <laughs> sometimes like, it feels like a job yeah no i know <laughs> what i'm trying to say though is like I, I feel like you're trying to put it in arena that it doesn't belong it's in a league of its yeah. own you know it's there's a nothing, sacred a sacred no, nothing more important than role. motherhood there's nothing more important than that role of nurture yeah and like you said our economy the glue of our economy is unpaid mothers uh -huh, motherhood mm-hmm is the mom stay-at-home moms. Mm -hmm. That's the glue that holds the entire economy together. Yeah. And so if if that's not enough, let's just make it clear as day. M being a mom, stay-at-home or not, whatever it is, like just being a mom is the mo most important thing you can do on this planet. There's no, there's nothing close. Good job, Elon Musk. You're, you're, you built Solar City. <laughs> Still not as important as motherhood. Good job, Bezos. You're, you get a package to my doorstep in 12 hours yeah. still not as important as a mom yeah. and motherhood yeah well i think also just too, letting you know just even you the know. women there's a lot of women <laughs> yeah. and and like boss babes that um multi-million dollar companies that like they don't talk about and they are moms and they don't yeah. talk about that and and i respect everybody is in their own part of the journey because i know that there's people where you know their business is their outlet and that's you know what they have chosen to mm -hmm. view it as and and i sometimes enjoy my time that i have teaching still here and there and, and clients here and there but i'm not working as much as near, nearly mm -hmm. close to any as much as i was before so um i think that yeah, just... sometimes women uh -huh. even women that are moms like because society and culture 100%. says if you're not making money that you're not worth shit or mm -hmm. you, if you're not building your business in this way then then you're nothing and if if you want to be with your kids and you want to be raising them and that's your focus like freaking respect i think that that's such an honorable honorable thing because we have to remember that these kids are the next generation <laughs> Yeah. Like where did where did we lose sight of that? Where did we literally forget that the human beings that aren't mm -hmm. that we brought into this world mm -hmm. aren't the most important things right. to be focusing on? I understand the stigma. I understand social uh, the social construct that is moms like they're they're undermined, they're underappreciated, they're overworked for sure. I understand that, but my opinion and my perspective is is that is the most honorable, the most important. Nothing you can do better with your time than to be a stay-at-home mom. That's my personal opinion. But that doesn't mean that my opinion overrides mm -hmm. what you experience in culture because that's yeah. not the case at all. Yeah. Well, but I mean, it, it still takes a support system for the mom to be at yes. home with the kids. So find yourself a partner that also respects motherhood in the way that it should be respected. That's I think that's the the underlying message. Like if you're not respected for for being the nurture for being a fully embodied, fully present mom, 
then you've got to rethink the people that you're surrounding yourself with. Yeah. yeah. And also do the work to see it that way because a lot of the childhood trauma mm-hmm. healing type of journey that I went on to undo these beliefs that I thought around what it meant to be a mom, the word mom, mm-hmm. um, owning emotions and not realizing that you control your emotions and other people don't make you feel certain types of way. Um, mental like mental training because it's hard when you're breastfeeding woken up six times in the night and like you have a newborn and there Uh you're crying and you're touched out and everything like it takes a mentally a lot a lot of mental strength to be a mom and to go through that and see it through and not project all of that old programming onto your kid and have compassion for yourself and also know your limits and all like it takes so much to be a mom Mm -hmm. that it that you need support but also too it comes down to you doing the work to be the the best that you can be for them oh yeah you know yeah i think there's an interesting article that i don't know if it was entrepreneur magazine or something but they they try to measure what you would pay a stay-at-home mom or a mom raising kids and the task doesn't end nine to five. It doesn't end at eight to four. Like the task continues through 24, seven, 365. Mm-hmm. So you got to calculate that. Then you got to calculate all the skills and all the attention. Like you can't let your two-year-old run around by themselves. Like you, you have to be in the same room almost all the time. Yeah. So you're constantly vigilant, constantly aware. You're just dialed in 24, seven, 365 at nighttime. You've got to make sure that they're soothed, you soothe them to bed breastfeed, like all those things. Right. And so the calculation came to like $150,000 salary is getting close to what you should be paying moms. If, if they're, if that was actually a job. Yeah. So just put that in perspective. That's three times what the average employer career oriented individual makes in a year. Yeah. And now you're getting close. So if anything, they're three times as valuable even in economics, right? Even in, in the economy, which is an interesting yeah. perspective to have, right? And some people need to hear this. Some some fathers, some providers out there need to be reminded, man, this isn't easy. Uh, could you even do it for 30 days by yourself? Mm-hmm. Could you do it for three days by yourself? Right. I don't know. Try it. <laughs> Try it. <laughs> grow. Grow in that vertical. <laughs> <laughs> so motherhood has been really important to you. It's been the most impactful, mm-hmm. you know, natural childbirth has been pivotal and Health and wellness has been a value of mine, conscious about what we eat for since we started uh, dating each other, right? I, I didn't really see you reinforce kind of that learning and like really understand it until you you became pregnant, right? And you were like looking at how do I make sure this my child is the healthiest possible? That was your catalyst to really dive in and read different books and understand nutrition at a deeper level. Do you want to share a little bit about that? Like, what are some of the findings that you found? So I guess they become, they're synonymous, right? Like giving unmedicated birth and the way that our bodies are naturally meant to give birth and also fueling your body in the most natural way possible to support its natural healing abilities, its natural way of operating. Mm-hmm. Um, they they go together, you know, and, and I had been on an up and down and different journey of health and wellness and fitness and the word health means something different to everybody, right? My word, when I say health, I'm talking differently than the average person that still eats McDonald's and says that, oh, I choose a salad off their menu and that's healthy, right? (laughs) There's a difference and it's always, there's always something deeper to go. And I think that um, 
the reason why I really internalized that deeper health education and desire and like solidifying that I do want to live and eat and move this way, even though it's completely out of the way for most people. I mean, you have to think ahead about what am I going to eat? What am I going to prepare? If I take Ocean to someone else's house and they're watching her, like, how am I going to make sure she's taken care of so they don't feed her a bunch of crap or whatever? It's 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 a lot more upfront, but then you just live a better life. And so I started as soon as I got pregnant, I read a book um, called Real Foods for Pregnancy. And she talked a lot about like you're growing a human and like you're literally making flesh in your body. You need to eat these, you know, you, you need orga- organic like um, pasteurized or non-pasteurized pasture fed like good ingredients and meats and things that will help build a human Mm. and take, you know, these vitamins, but finding the ones that were like the most health conscious. And so the reason that I did that was because I realized, oh my gosh, I now have this duty, like what I eat becomes my child. (laughs) Like you're growing a human. And Mm. I think that there's a cultural norm when you're pregnant that get out of free gel card and eat whatever shit you want and just overeat and that's so true and that was really prevalent because i had a bunch of friends that were pregnant at the same time as me and they'd be like i'm eating this i'm eating this like i don't care i'm pregnant and i'm thinking to myself if this isn't the moment that is the most important for you to eat health conscious move health conscious be health conscious and moving forward right to be there for your kids to not have them to take care of you when you're obese overweight with all these medical issues like this is the moment, you know, mm-hmm. like this is a moment to live like that because like if you can't better yourself for this other human that you chose to bring in this world, like when are you going to choose that, you know? So for me, it was more so realizing like I'm not going to eat shit because I'm taking care of a human. I'm growing this human. And then that really helped me align my body. Um, I still worked out until the day before I went into labor through the whole pregnancy, I moved my body and I kept up with that. And that I feel like gave me a lot of strength to give birth naturally, to have the muscles there strong and feeling strong to bring her in this world. Cause my labor was long. It was like mm-hmm. 22 hours and mm-hmm. she was posterior and I did it all unmedicated. And I, you know, some people are think that it's trendy to like give natural birth and they think it's a trend and there's a lot of negative things going around are saying, oh, well, you're, you don't get a trophy if you give natural birth. <laughs> so why would you do that? Or it's it's not better. Mm. So you don't get a trophy. And it's like, to me, my natural endorphins, my natural high, the power that I felt being in my body and my relationship no. to what that pain was and bringing life in this world and feeling every stretch and every move, that is its own natural biological trophy that I fucking earned and no one can take Mm -hmm. that away from me. And I know that there's women that go through that experience that have a positive natural birth experience. It changes them forever. And that's why I love it. And I love talking about it because I feel like there's a lot of people that don't even think about it because they're like, oh, it's not what you do in this medical system. You just go to the hospital, you do what the doctor says, you get the epidural. And I'm not saying that that's wrong. I'm just saying that a lot of the women in my life that had those experiences never talked about birth. Mm-hmm. And I went through this experience and I was like, holy shit, this is the most most spiritual, powerful experience of my entire life. 
by hundreds. Nothing yeah. touched it. Yeah. And it it allowed me to like have that fire in me to take care of ocean and to do things and and move through and become a mother and transform. Mm -hmm. Like that whole experience really helped me come into motherhood because I felt I was really in my primal nature and my yeah. my power. So that's why I love talking about it because I I feel like the other women that have experienced similar things feel the same way and they want to vocalize about it. And so that's cool. What a beautiful way to insert a rite of passage for every female by God, by mother nature, like the hardest thing you're going to do in your life, mm -hmm. but also the best and most beautiful experience you'll have by a multiplying factor of hundreds is what you said. And then after that, you're a mom. Like yeah. that seems like the perfect rite of passage, mm -hmm. you know, like to fully embody motherhood. Mm -hmm. It's like there's the moment before you gave birth and the moment after, and then you're a transformed in those 22 hours in your life oh I even when we anything. came home mm -hmm. i remember looking in the mirror and being not recognizing myself i was like, like i'm new whoa who is this yeah they say with the birth of a baby you birth a mom like mm -hmm. it comes the birth of a mom and then you buy you guys grow together because you're both babies in these roles yeah 100 percent. yeah and it from the from my perspective you know, learning the science and learning the research afterwards, I didn't realize how much physiologically that men change in those containers as well. When your pheromones are different, my pheromones uh, are different too. My ph physiology changes too. My hormonal levels change too. My prolactin increases, which means my testosterone de decreases, which means like there's so many different biological and physiological uh, cues that happen from your partner, or in this case, you going through pregnancy and then giving birth, which are important to rear and to, to parent and to raise a child together, which mm -hmm. is fascinating. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that, you know, until afterwards, yeah. but that whole experience is something that I think everybody needs to go through. Yeah, you were like pivotal for me in that um, being with me during labor. And I had had one other experience uh, when I was in high school. I did an internship at the hospital and I went to labor and delivery once. Mm -hmm. And I was, um, they needed assistance. And one of the moms there was giving birth. And her partner was so disconnected and literally making faces and being negative towards his wife because when you're giving birth you're making sounds you're mm -hmm. you know he was like stuff's coming out her. both That's ends and was he was literally going like oh, oh, oh. and mm -hmm. i literally remember holding her leg being like you pos like if you're a man and your wife has carried your baby mm -hmm. for nine months and then goes through child labor to bring that baby to her side like, you better show her some fucking respect. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, man some up, animal. you know? Yeah. So, like, I had s seen that end, and then you, and then the polar opposite when I was going through labor, and you're just the best mm. supportive role. Breathe every breath through me. Did you have chopped lips after? Because, man, we had to breathe so much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Yeah, I wasn't. We didn't eat. We didn't do anything. The coolest yeah. thing ever. It was. And that's that's what's interesting is Bonding, that I got sure. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, there's nothing more powerful to, to bond to people than going through that. It, that was actually a catalyst for this podcast, which was, so the midwife said had been a part of over 2,000 births. And then the way that we, the process that we had in those 22 hours, she said that the way that I handled myself was like one of the best or the best that she's ever seen. Wow. Yeah, uh, like a support that. system, like a husband or, you know, dealing with their partner or whatever. And for me, 
that would that blew my mind because I was like, what? I didn't do anything. I'm like, I didn't want any credit for for me showing up in in the way that I did for you. That's just something that I felt was so natural and should be so normal. Mm-hmm. But that was one of the catalysts for before we rebranded the podcast to start it because it was like men need to step up. Mm-hmm. Men need to stop just hitting that low bar. We have such a low bar for men in this society, right? Like in in culture, it's like so low. And that's prominent in the way that you see cartoons depict father fathers, Homer Simpson, Family Guy, like everyone's like a doof. You know, in sitcoms, the father's the, the I don't know what's oblivious to everything. And it's like, they're not there to su- support or show up for their partner, especially in this case. So let, let me let me make myself super clear. Fellas, if you or your partner, if your wife, your girlfriend, whatever is pregnant and she wants to give natural birth or even wants to give birth you know, through through or get her baby delivered, the least you can do is show up and be very present to her needs and what she needs to support her in that moment. That's the very least that you can do. You know, that that's not going above and beyond. That's recognizing and being a conscientious human being that your partner is going to go through the hardest thing by far that they'll ever experience in this life. And if you're that doof or that guy that's like uh, rolling his eyes when his wife or you're embarrassed for your wife because she's pushing for labor or you feel embarrassed in any way, like you need to look at yourself and say, how can I be better? How can I do better? Mm -hmm. Because that's the bare minimum you can do. The way that I showed up for you is bare minimum. You know, not bare minimum. That's like, that should be normal is what I'm saying. It's like, that shouldn't be something extraordinary. That shouldn't be like, that should just be what, how every man supports and and is there for their wife during that time. Yeah. I don't know if that that was poignant enough. Yeah, yeah. And if you want to go above and beyond, learn, educate, read books too. Read yeah. what she's going through. Read how to be a better support. Take a daddy doula cat class. Go mm-hmm. to a birthing class with her. Mm-hmm. Ask your doctor, your midwife, all the questions of how you can be a better support because I'm sure they'll mm-hmm. give you a lot of signals, you know. Mm-hmm. And I remember when, also too when uh, Melissa, our midwife, had come to do a checkup on her when she was just a couple days old and she was telling us a funny story about how one of the new dads was like, I'm not going to change poopy diapers. And she had to get in his face and be like, man up, you're a dad. <laughs> right. You're changing the shitty diapers if you ca- if the baby poops on you. Yeah. That's normal. Yeah. Keep going. Keep Don't going. be a baby about it. <laughs> and I was like, yes. That's so true. That's just so, it's so true. And men need that signal too. Men, father figures, you need that signal. So, all right, Shelly. So we could talk about this uh, for the next five hours. So let's uh, transition to... What are you doing now? What's what's next for you? You know, because you're you're getting to a place where our our daughter is becoming more autonomous, mm-hmm. and you don't need to be so hands on day to day. So, what's next? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I've been spending a little bit more energy in other business things and putting it back, putting that energy also back into the online training. So, I'll be launching a monthly membership for our beauty babes, those of you or anyone that is interested um, in learning lash extensions or growing professionally Mm -hmm. and personally. I also have other courses um, to help grow your self-image and that sort of thing on the online academy. So we'll be launching that for monthly members to go through the courses. Yeah. 
all <laughs> your needs in yeah. one place <laughs> to become a boss babe yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, trainings, if you have any questions, you want to attend one of our in-person trainings, you can reach out to me, Self Image Beauty on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're taking these historically separate things and you're putting it all under one umbrella, mm-hmm. supporting people from afar. And then if they need more support, they can always schedule in-person stuff. So that's that's a big deal. That's yeah. a big deal. That's awesome. Guys, yep. if your wife, girlfriend, fiance, lover is struggling in life and doesn't know what she wants to do, you can always shoot her over to self-image beauty, start a career in the beauty industry. Yeah, good. Yeah, that's that was a good shit. So where can people find you? What's the handle for that? Um, self-image beauty on all platforms, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. And then personal is just Shelly May S. But it's M-A-E. So S-H-E-L-L-E-Y-M-A-E-S. Awesome. Do you want to leave the audience with our our listeners with any parting words? Mm. You're stronger than you think. Mm. No matter what you're going through or what difficulties come up or what challenges come up, you can get through anything if you really want to. Let's go. (laughs) Thanks for tuning into another episode of Adaptive Leaders share like subscribe that will really help us reach a broader audience Uh, but like always we'll see you next time